chaos comes, it's a chance to be initiated. You know, thinking that the United States and its ideas in church have come closest to reflecting reality is like thinking Iceland is the basketball capital of the world. It's actually a psychological disorder. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. When a man becomes who he was made to be by God, every day is adventure. Guys, welcome back to the Ensign's Podcast. We have with us our good friend, John Mark. John Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. We are in our, our very fancy podcast studio right now, um, which is a patio in the late summer sun. You may hear airplanes, you may hear cars, but this is the space that we're in. And it actually kind of feels like a, a nicer space for the topic today, if I'm honest. Like, we're going to talk about shame and the story of the gospel and the way that we see it. And I was just having a conversation with someone the other day who said, why don't you guys talk about like the really good stuff, like glory and like what we're meant to like really bring. And I'm like, oh, that's good. That's coming. But first, it feels like there's some things that are not going to go away if we don't talk about them. And that is maybe a personality thing, but I think it's also just a true thing. Can't skip to the good stuff without dealing with the stuff that's in the way. So let's do it. First question open to the group, but I'm looking at you, John Mark. Uh, as we were riffing earlier, you talked a little bit about how you would frame a conversation on shame. And if I were to ask shame, question mark, where do you start? What would you point to? Um, my mind immediately goes to, I think, Hebrews 12, uh, mostly just because I've been looking at that uh, Hebrews 12, I think one through two, specifically in light of shame and like almost this beautiful journey out of shame into freedom. Um, I am looking it up because if, I mean, I have it memorized, but if we have a listener who doesn't, uh, Hebrews 12, one and two, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, and then keep reading a little bit farther. Consider him yeah. who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Yes. <laughs> Love that part. So thinking about shame in context of Hebrews 12, um, some of the things that come to mind is how it starts, like, therefore, since we are surrounded. And uh, last year I read this book called uh, The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. And he had a, a chapter heading, which was our, our healing cloud of witnesses. And just this whole idea that in order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, like it must, we must be witnessed, like we must be seen. Um, and so I love how Hebrews 12 starts, like, therefore, since we are surrounded. And I'd often just like imagined it as like a, 
you know, a competition. People are like way up in the stands cheering. And I think maybe that's the image that he's going for. But uh, for some reason, I, I begin to see it differently with like, in terms of like a healing cloud of witnesses, a healing cloud. I am surrounded like people all around me. And I, I, I imagine it in, in light of shame, like them being a lot closer, like being able to witness me and see me. And what I love about it is, um, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses to life of faith, let us run with endurance. And then it goes into casting off every uh, weight that weighs us down, sin that so easily entangles. And what I love about that is if we cannot defeat or overcome shame and isolation, one of the ways to overcome shame is to be witnessed or to be seen. What I love is there's almost this like restoration. Uh, it makes me think of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And how there's almost this reversal, like in the garden, <laughs> Adam and Eve sinned and their immediate response was to hide. Like they saw that they were naked and they saw that they were ashamed. So they hid and they sewed fig leaves for themselves. And how in Hebrews, there's almost this like reversal of I'm being witnessed or I'm being seen. And therefore I am able to like remove the, the coverings or the things that I was hiding behind. Um, so almost picturing it as like this, yeah, reversal of the fall, just even in that like casting off sin, like casting off every weight that would weigh us down. Okay. Super good. If we were reading that verse though, out of context, like mm -hmm. not focusing on shame personally, mm -hmm. I would hit that first part with the cloud of witnesses. And actually that would trigger shame in me. That would make me feel like there's people sort of always watching, therefore be on your best behavior. Um, you have this cloud that can just see when you're alone, see what you're choosing when no one else is looking. And I, that's, part of my personality type is there is like some motivation through shame. There's also some of my story there. Um, but that that's actually how I first hear that. So it's really mm. the opposite of what I think it's intended for. Yeah. And then I get to the next verse of let's run our race with endurance. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So it's like white knuckle it. Like let's just try <laughs> and maintain and cast off all those things that are really slowing you down. Yep. I've got a bunch of things slowing me down. Like, ugh. but then when you do like, I'm waiting for the word shame. I'm waiting for like why that, and it's Jesus. And he's scorning the shame of the cross. Mm -hmm. Is that, that was the phrase from that translation. And that's where, for me, there's this like hiccup in the way I normally read through, even though this context should have keyed me in. I'm like, I'm like waiting for shame. I'm waiting for, I'm, I'm feeling it with a cloud of witnesses when I shouldn't be. I'm mm. feeling that I need to have it like greater endurance than I feel like I normally have. So you can hear all of the ways that I'm not getting what should be being offered in that in Hebrews 12. And then there's Jesus and what he like that shift. So I love that you're connecting the dots. The things I'm feeling are like, they go all the way back to the beginning. They go all the way back to Adam and Eve shame. Like if you think it's just you, <laughs> it's so not. And so I'm actually feeling a little bit of freedom in that. Like as soon as you go Adam and Eve and they, I'm like, Oh, right, 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 right. This is like a very basic human battle that actually Jesus changed something for us. Yeah. What fascinates me in the centrality of 
Jesus and his crucifixion in that verse is actually, John Mark, you and I went and had a, we've had a couple conversations in kitchens about this, of think of a depiction of the crucifixion and Jesus is often uh, portrayed as suffering, but there's something that moves you to compassion. Uh, he's very seldom portrayed as being starkly vulnerable, utterly exposed. Something as simple as, have you ever seen a depiction of the crucifixion where Jesus is naked? Right. That's actually what I was thinking of first. He's always got a loincloth of some kind. Like we are so intolerant of Jesus's scorning the shame that we pin white towels on Jesus's waist when we paint that scene to protect ourselves. And I think also, so there is um, a kind of horror that comes up when you see someone truly stepping out in stark, uh, like revelation of themselves, utterly harmable and yet scorning uh, like the impulse to harm, the voice of the accuser coming to them. And it just is goes, wow, if we're to go like, look at Jesus and his ability uh, to take the cross, if that is the thing that actually allows us <laughs> to cast aside shame, it should concern us that we actually cannot look at Jesus on the cross What's interesting when you talk about that is there was a church I visited in Germany where not only was Jesus not fully embodying what we would think of as shame, he was barely embodying weakness or suffering. He was like ripped, like six pack, massive weightlifting shoulders and doing this kind of like chest out posture. Like I am really going to just pull these nails out and come single-handedly take down the Roman empire. Like it was this really interesting, there's an, it's an old church and this, this particular crucifix was built actually in like the 1940s. And so it was a time when they wanted to be having this vision of strength, but it, like, yeah, not only that was like, as, let's get as far away from vulnerability and shame as possible in that moment, which is the key moment in Hebrews 12. Like it's not just Jesus's life. It's that particular moment. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. We rarely imagine or even allow ourselves to imagine Christ, God incarnate, naked on a cross. Uh, I'm just, I'll share a, I was doing some um, imaginative prayer, uh, Ignatian spirituality, uh, meditating on the cross. And I had all the gospels and I was reading through like, I think it was through last supper through um, the crucifixion. And I was trying to imagine myself there and what would it feel like? And while I would say, you know, like last supper, pretty easy, get some any harder. And then like, it just progressively gets harder and harder and harder. And I remember I had like, it's like maybe a couple of weeks of like, trying to imagine the whole story of the Christ last couple of days. But I remember finally I worked up, you know, worked up the hill. I've like walked up the hill and then, um, Jesus is already on the cross. And I remember in my imagination, I, I like could not bring my eyes like above his feet, like, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna start over. <laughs> 
I'm going up the hill. <laughs> yes. I'm going to look at Jesus this time. Like mm. I'm going to see Jesus on the cross. And it like took me so long. Like I, I just I was like, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. And then I remember finally I like was able to, in my imagination, like lift my eyes up to see Jesus on the cross. And I remember, him, yeah, him being naked. And my first response in my imagination was like, I reached behind me and pulled out a white sheet to cover Jesus. Because uh. <laughs> I was like, you're being too vulnerable right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Jesus, do you realize like how exposed you are? There is. Okay. So it is so key to understand that we live in a story with uh, an enemy and that in the Old Testament, you know, the captain of evil is regularly referred to as uh, the Satan, the opposer. This develops in, not develops, this uh, gets portrayed in the New Testament as the Diabolos, the sl- which is even better, the slanderer. And so of like, oh, we live in a story where like the mocker's voice is ready and that there is this kind of, uh, this deep fear that in moments of fundamental weakness, you will simply be exposed to sort of the horror of the mocker and look at Jesus and they're like, don't do it. Don't like, I can't take it. Um, but there is like this deep discomfort and go, yeah, I, that is my fear of, it was earlier this summer and I, we had, you know, we're doing an exercise, write down a couple things that you would love to work on uh, over the course of kind of a, a conference that I was at. And I, you know, there were, I think, 20 blanks and I just wrote down vulnerability and I wrote down trust and was, you know what, I know that I uh, don't like being vulnerable in that when my wife and I are having a conversation with someone and then uh, my wife starts to do that thing that any close friend can do, but unwittingly where she just starts sharing a story that's more revealing than I want it to be. And I feel kind of like the heat start moving through my body um, and go, Oh no, like (laughs) I've just lost like control of the portrayal of myself to the world. Uh, Well, so I start going into this and I go, Oh, okay. Um, If I were to name the fear very simply, it is the expectation of mockery that if I were to go start in vulnerability talking about like what I am afraid of or what I am motivated by what like my listeners would do would go like there, there would be a kind of glee in them not just compassion but also like that there would be this we knew it and like in effect that the fear of being like weak and therefore exposed to slander that I'm afraid that yes, in that precise moment, I will get what I most fear, which is just the voice of Satan. (laughs) And then we have, and yet there's this like dramatic alternative in Jesus going, uh, he is completely not listening and like consumed with uh, beholding the father to the point that the enemy is actually like suffering in his presence, suffering. I, I, yeah, I just find that so interesting because again, if we like look at Genesis one, Adam and Eve created in God's image, naked, unashamed, 
and that's glorious. Like there's no need for shame in that. Then we contrast that with Christ, Christ in his death, a victim stripped of his clothing, humiliated, forced exposure. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that Christ submits himself to that. Like he's not, he's, he's not a victim of that. Like he is choosing that. And so he's able to take what should have been the most humiliating act against him and reinterpret it or, or, or yeah, like turn it on its head. Like Satan doesn't get the abuser doesn't get to have the narrative here. Um, and I just think that's so key in, 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 in allowing us to even begin to confront our like shame in our lives. Right. Because my assumed safety is kind of what Blaine was naming it. It's just don't, admit or show weakness, avoid areas of shame at all possible costs. I have found myself on multiple occasions. I love watching movies and I end up watching a lot of them by myself. Um, I'm fine with that. That just happens. Susie's always surprised by movies I've seen because she wasn't there. Um, but in moments where a character is about to do something embarrassing or has just done something embarrassing and, and shameful, I will literally pause the movie and, and like pull back and need to have a moment where like I just I have this stop at me of like, no, don't, don't do it. Don't take me there. Don't make me empathize with you as you go make this foolish action. And then I'll like catch myself doing it and look around the room. I'm like, what, what, what just happened? It's like, and that this has happened many times, you guys, like this isn't just this one time this thing happened. I'll just inherently like just go for it. Um, and it reveals this this like hot iron, like reaction to even others shame. I think of, there was this <laughs> routine that Jerry Seinfeld did a long time ago where he was talking about that more people are afraid of public speaking than of dying. It's actually like, that's the order. And he's saying people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> and there's just this like, yeah, right. Because you don't want to put yourself in the position of speaking in front of people, because what if everybody finds out? Because what if you then feel shame? Therefore the best way to not feel shame is just never get in that space, which would mean Jesus would never have done what he did if he avoided all possible shame as the means of victory over it. Okay, wow. A few other thoughts come to mind. One of them is the way that this ties into uh, lament, where, you know, the secret of lament that I've been learning is uh, lament is a way of combating the fear that if you look at places where you felt most abandoned by God, your, like, the great lie will be confirmed to you that God abandoned you. And lament is this uh, motion and faith away from that to go, no, I'm going to look at at it and actually get back into it. And I will actually discover that, oh my gosh, God, you were there. There is this, with shame, there's this, my fear is that when I am, when my heart is actually just completely beheld, I will be scorned rather than loved and safe. The problem is, I think of like either of our daughters, 
where it is actually their uncoveredness that opens them up to receive delight. And partly, you know, what's amazing watching them is go, oh, you, you know, my daughter has a broken leg and um, someone recently described her as broken but unencumbered. And like, she's just going for it anyway. And it goes, wow, right now, the fact that you are not like self-consciously thinking about how unprotected you are is positioning to you to receive so much delight. And I want to experience that level of delight from God. What is in the way is actually believing that won't be the case for me. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring it back to Adam and Eve. (laughs) Do it. Uh, Bonhoeffer in ethics has this quote that he says that Adam and Eve before the fall, they only knew all things in God and all things through God. And so that in the fall, Adam and Eve became uh, a God's lowercase g against God and a judge against the judge. And so it's like, no wonder they felt like naked, like their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and ashamed. Cause now all of a sudden, like they're not seeing each other first and foremost, like Adam is not looking at Eve first and foremost as being in the beloved, as being in God. And she is no longer looking at him as being in God either. And so it's now like we have this ability to like this belief that I can know you or see you and my sight of you outside of God is the truest thing that I'm seeing. And so for me, there's been this like growing awareness of like, oh, no, no, no. Paul in, I think the letter to the Corinthians, like, therefore we regard each other no longer according to the flesh. It's like this invitation to like, oh yeah, remember like we see the truest thing about each of us and how we see each other is that we are in the beloved. And so like just thinking about like Eilish and like how she is delighted in and she is she she knows that she's delighted in so therefore it is easier for her to receive enjoyment because she is receiving that identity from both of her parents and just thinking about like how much shame we have it's like i don't want to be seen because if i am seen if this part of me is seen if they see this flaw like it'll reinforce the truth that I am not beloved or I am not like worth affection or um, I'll just use a a lie that I struggle with, like that I am less of a human. Um, Like if people see these areas of my life, they will stand with the accuser, as you were saying earlier, like in agreement. And so, yeah, so like just how important it is to like, like that, the truest thing, those because we have believed in Jesus, we have professed like that Christ is our savior. That now the truest thing about us, the starting point in addressing shame is we are loved. And so now sinking into those places of lament, going to those memories of that we're like, all we have is like shame is an invitation to bring or extend like that belovedness to those places. Oh, it's so good. An arena I've gotten to experience a lot, both on the receiving end and on the witnessing side is that 
piece of our stories where we are invited to go back and reflect on memories or moments that were impactful, usually dark, usually painful, often there's shame. Um, and I've seen it over and over again that the, the current you, the current person, the, the adult who is doing this like memory, usually got it by a, a counselor or someone skilled, will, will have this shame reaction to themselves in the past. They will still be this. I'm not seeing even my own heart always through God first. And there has to be this moment where you, you are no longer condemning yourself for what happened in order for actual healing to come there and actual integration and for that memory or that event to let go of some of its trauma. And it's just this, and personally, I've had many moments of that where I've gone back and gone, oh yeah, when I think about Sam in high school or giving this one particular wedding toast, I am joining with the accuser. I'm not only like, even in my memories, I am going to the side of, yep, you were an idiot. How could you have possibly done that? Yep, everything everyone believed was, and when I do that, it just compounds that shame, trauma, embarrassment. And so I just, this piece again, like when we, we are looking at each other and even looking at ourselves through God, yeah. um, there's all of a sudden so much mercy. And sometimes I have to begin by like projecting someone I love onto myself because I have like a little bit more empathy and grace for them. I'm like, okay, imagine this was your wife. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm like so much more tender to my wife as a 12 year old than I am towards myself as a 12 year old. I'm going to like hide myself as a 12 year old and continue that. And oh, that is so far from being free from shame. Okay. Returning to the gospel again. <laughs> this is this huge thing where I, yes, I have the same discipline. Therefore I have the same experience of sort of regarding my own story, looking, going like, Ugh! and that there's like where things that can seem abstract suddenly become absolutely, absolutely vital where you go. What about, uh, Jesus canceling the claims against you forever or like buying the right to inter to tell you your story. I think because um, my shame antidote was performance for a complicated reason, but it kind of went like this, which was, you know, it's me versus the slanderer. And the best defense is for the slanderer to be wrong, like to go ahead and go into the courtroom and go, no, I have upheld the law, except the internally, I was so anxious because I was so aware that I failed and there were people who would <laughs> the be- The problem with trying to be perfect. Exactly. There would be people who were sort of just kind of like mad at me for not being like a great friend. And on one level, I was like, whatever. But on another, I understood that I didn't actually love them. And even though I could try to do some gymnastics about what were realistic expectations of me, I knew that that was wrong. <laughs> and it was like, oh no, like I am ready for the verdict to come. And the, the invitation was, listen, um, it, the solution to shame is not to be stronger. The solution to shame is not to have been weak. 
um, or to be in yourself safe, um, but to actually go at like the moment of your fear, Jesus intervenes for you where it's just like, oh, I really wronged them. Oh, and Jesus took it into his own body. Like, so I can really look at people who I've wronged and go, oh, you have no claim. Oh my gosh. Therefore, uh, I'm not living in fear of your anger at me. Like there is substantive relief in, oh my goodness. The, uh, yes. Yeah, man, I blew that, whatever it was. Um, and rather than just deeply trying to dissociate and, you know, forget certain memories, go like, and Jesus entered in, covered, and then goes, like, turns around and shares the benefits of his resurrection. And it's like, I love that boy. I love that young man. Glorious. You're like, what? Oh, here's, here are you again answering the slanderer with actually the voice of beloved. What's so beautiful about that is, like, that allows us to heal. Like, because otherwise, it's like, if we're trying to, like, accuse the accuser <laughs> or like, I, I don't know, like enter into our stories and, and, and try and reimagine the narrative in a way that, or like spin it so that it's like positive or there's just some parts of our stories that like suck. You can't spin. Yeah. And so like what I love is that knowing that like, God's movement towards us is one of love, like that in Christ, we are in the beloved, that he now sees us as the righteousness of God, that we can go back to those stories, back to our stories and experience that. I think for, I think for me, yeah, the, like the, 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 uh, I think for me that the one area that's been huge has been like, a lie that has been recently exposed or, or a lot of fear has uh, been like, Oh, I actually believed it's so funny. Cause I would have said this to so I would have encouraged so many people to be like, there's nothing that you can do that can separate from the, you from the love of God. But realizing like how much fear and shame I had in my life, I was like, yeah, that's true for their stories. But mm-hmm. my story is the exception. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> my the, shame is the real but shame. But you only understood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, there was this like thought one morning and it's like, I could massively screw up my life right now. I could make the stupidest decisions And God would love me. I was like, God, you you would still love me. And I was like, of course he would love me. Like my, my rational, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is crazy. Like he would still love me. Uh, I think it's been the, the passage and I forget where, where it is, but where it talks about how like when Christ died, he ascended to hell to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's re- That's recently like, hit me in a different way, realizing like, I think revisiting my story and like when I like entered into depression, it was like, God, why are you silent? Why aren't you speaking? Where are you? It felt like an absence, it, like he was far away. He wasn't listening. 
and then there was so much shame because it's like, oh, I didn't have enough faith. I didn't, I didn't believe, I didn't pray. I didn't do all these things. Um, and, but realizing like, oh, wait, wait a second. If you descended to hell, like, and you were there, like, that means in my story, in my life, like you said, you wouldn't leave. You said you wouldn't abandon me. So I think the lie is that like, I could go somewhere that he would not find me, that he would not be. So the shock has been like in this year, I've had like so many anxiety attacks. And I felt so loved. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not embarrassed that they happened. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like several of them happened in front of like people, other people. Um, because it's like, God, you're here. Like even there, even in that moment, his love found me. And there's this like growing certainty for like in the future, even there, his love, like I could descend into madness, the deepest depression, even there, I will find God or God will find me his love will be found in that place. So it gives me a lot of courage to, I think like face shame areas of my stories, the story that I still feel like not a lot of clarity on. Cause now there's like this expectation of like, where are you? How are you going to reconcile this? Cause I can't see it right now. It's so good. Um, I'm so aware of all of the ways that like, this is, this is, past oriented this is other oriented this train this this posture this way of seeing through who jesus sees um giving that back to him giving the verdict back to him not trying to have the best defense or just avoid the accuser being like our two strategies it is also future oriented for like our hope and the state and um my wife and i were reading um the Lord of the Rings trilogy years ago. And we got to the death of Theoden and he delivers this line as he is dying. I go to my fathers in whose mighty company I shall not now feel ashamed. And we both lost it. Like we just sat there weeping for probably 10 minutes, which is that sentiment of, I, oh, I, I, I long for that experience to be m- like my inheritance to be like, there will be this, uh, even like, as I use my imagination to go like entering into the kingdom, will I feel like I just sort of scraped by and I'd kind of, we're going to show my life up on like the big screen and I'm just going to hide and just cringe. Or am I going to walk into this mighty company and not feel ashamed and that that evoked tears that that would be a possibility, I think revealed just how deep this struggle personally is of, does it get the verdict or is there truly something that Jesus has done and a way of being and an inheritance for me where shame won't be a category? It's so huge because... Oh, this is one of the areas where I just go, the world has no answer. And I see a lot of dis, um, intentional dissembling, like hiding in the area of, because shame and vulnerability are 
popular right now um, as concepts, as topics. But when I really examine, like I love Brene Brown and she has great resources. And when I examine what the solution is, it's a kind of propositional indifference. Go, um, you might be laughed at, but it's better to be vulnerable and go, oh, what? Or, or a, you might be laughed at, but probably not. And it goes, no, for sure you will. The gospel is worst case scenario. What do you do in view of the fact that if we can't look at Jesus on the cross, if you step out in utter weakness, even your dear friends will probably attack you on some level um, and go, what, what actually makes you safe? And you go, oh, only the fact, only a deep understanding of how covered you are in the work of Jesus and how attentive and available he is to your story and glory and fear that, you know, if, if the only recourse was, you know, you, you got to be more honest, there would be no reason to <laughs> accept that returning to Hebrews 12, because of Jesus, you have resources and because of Jesus, you actually do have this uh, kind of witnesses who understand the stakes of your story and are cheering for you. Yeah. What an unbelievable thought. Yeah. And with that, like, what's so key in that is like the need for an experience of God in like, like a lot of the stuff I feel like that I've been learning is all things that I could cognitively or like I knew the answer. Like I could have encouraged somebody with that or I could have said that to myself, but like there were areas in my story where like I still had not experienced Christ or like I had not like, like I think about like I needed to look upon his naked body. Like I needed that experience to give me the courage to face my own stuff. Like I could have just read about it and been like, yeah, Jesus was crucified most likely on the cross. Like he was most likely naked, you know, like really humiliating. You know, it's all just like, sounds very scientific, right? Yeah. It's like, what am I watching? Like history channel here? Like, I don't want to hear you talk about Jesus. Anyways. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so like realizing for me, like what has been like the most freeing thing has actually been like, first bringing that shame to Jesus and then having him witness it. But also the big thing for me that I've been growing or like stepping into more is having others as Christ witness me. Like this realization that like one, I cannot free myself from my shame. And oftentimes like, my pride keeps me from exposing a lot of my pride, my fear from exposing myself to people or allowing people to see me fully. And I feel like this year has been one and like, I feel like my faith, my faith is becoming more and more impossible to do in isolation. (laughs) Like, uh, I mean, I could do it, but it's it's exhausting. It's like, it's so hard. Wait, wait, impossible and I could do it uh, don't actually coexist. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Let's just own the impossible. It's impossible. And it's like, oh, wow. Like in order to do this journey with Jesus, this life with Jesus, I don't just need me and Jesus. Like I need the hundreds and thousands of incarnations of Christ, like Christ dwelling in you, Christ dwelling in you. Like I need the body of Christ to be that, like to be Christ to me, which is terrifying. It's like such a terrifying bid or an ask like, um, Hey church, Hey family, I need you guys (laughs) to be Jesus to me. (laughs) Which again is this thing that once you've experienced it from God changes that completely because part of my self-protection comes from knowing that people are in progress and going, even if you get it 90%, you'll fail 10%. And I'm not interested in experiencing your 10%, but how much rests on the person I'm talking to about some situation to get it right and to go, actually having experienced being starkly like weak and afraid with God and then going like and hearing love and covering and like, seeing Jesus actually go even more deeply into weakness than me, <laughs> even more to weakness and fear and terror. All of a sudden you can with people go like, let them be in progress and supply the part that they can in season without, for me, without at all letting and get this right right now. Otherwise nothing, but go, you will not get it all right right now. Mm. But I, because of what's happening in my internal world, I can actually also receive the benefit of whatever percentage you're able to offer right now. So bringing it all back to Hebrews 12, you know, we run the race looking to Jesus, the initiator, the author, the originator of our story of our faith and the finisher of our story who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising, scorning its shame. And I love how consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. So I think just feeling like the, like we need to look to Jesus. Like I love how it's like, look to him and then consider him because there's a lot of pain in our stories. There's a lot of like, God, where were you? Like, as we look at our stories, addressing shame naturally will take us to hard places. And the only way we can do that is looking to Jesus. I, I I have this like breath prayer um, that I pray. It's like uh, from, from this poem called The Vision. The Vision is Jesus, dangerously, obsessively, and undeniably Jesus. <laughs> and I'll just like, when I find myself in the middle of like, ooh, I'm starting to like get really terrified of where I'm going or like my emotions are too much or I'm feeling really embarrassed. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. It's like looking unto Jesus. Okay consider him so that I may not grow weary and faint-hearted. 